Hello, and welcome back for this birthday bonus episode of I Wasn't Always Like This, an uplifting podcast about living with depression. It's a pretty big birthday for me this year. I've decided to take a moment to look back at the journey of my getting here to this birthday. Thank you for joining me on this pilgrimage. Don't give up. Don't give in. It's just the journey. The darkness grows the seed. Bonus episode 60 is the new 30. For those of you who have listened to this entire podcast or read my book, you know that when I was 13, I made a deal with myself that I could end my life at the age of 30 if things hadn't gotten better. And you also know that things did get better. And on my 30th birthday, I accepted an agreement to stick around. I'm still very grateful for that decision. Technically, at least in my world, that means that this upcoming birthday is not, in fact, a 60th birthday. It's a 30th birthday. Because the way I see it, the clock reset on that 30th birthday when I decided to stay. However, since my knees are disagreeing with me on this time-altering theory of aging that I have created, I will accept this moment with grace and dignity. And I will embrace the number 60 with complete enthusiasm as soon as I get used to saying it out loud. For this bonus episode, I would like to take a look back on the powerfully significant events that took place on the decades ending in three, since that's where we are now, and it's where I began. And so, here we go. 1963. I was born. Mount Sinai Hospital in Cleveland, Ohio. A hospital that's no longer there, by the way. A wide-eyed being covered in black hair, I was a bit of a disappointment to my grandmother. I was the fourth of four girls, no boys. This was not such a happy moment for her. It was a bit of a rocky start. However, being slightly funny-looking meant that I provided quite a bit of entertainment for my family. That same year, of course, the country bid a heartbreaking farewell to John F. Kennedy. Being only nine months of age at that tragic point in time, I take no responsibility for what happened. In 1973, I was 10 years of age. If you've read any of my writings, you'll know that this was a pivotal age for me, emotionally. I was becoming aware of the world turning without any effort from me, that people were living their lives all over the world, and I would never know them that time goes on and on, even after we are gone. This was a deeply disturbing thought to my still growing brain, so it got buried for a while. The summer of 1973, motivated by a comment one of my sisters made at the dinner table one year before, my parents took our whole family on a three-week pilgrimage to Europe. Looking back, it is beyond remarkable how my mom booked this entire journey and all of the activities we participated in while we were there. No Google back then. No internet. 
just snail mail and fax machines, which were still pretty miraculous at that time. Our adventure began in London. Imagine me at 10, having my first experience of seeing Shakespeare on stage in England, performed by the masters of the language. Ian Richardson playing Richard II, Diana Rigg playing Lady Macbeth. I was already infatuated with the work of William Shakespeare. Seeing it there, I was in heaven. We visited France, Switzerland, Austria, Copenhagen, Amsterdam, Zurich, and many other places. We went to the Olympic Stadium in Munich. This was only three years after the horrific terrorist attack and kidnapping at the Olympic Games of 1972. The place still echoed with the voices from that terrifying act of hatred. And we had several oh-so-American misadventures along the way. My family will always remember the Anagel in the Reifen story. What we didn't know was that for my parents, the whole point of this quote-unquote family vacation was to go to Dachau in Germany. Dachau was the first concentration camp established under the authoritarian rule in 1933. More than 28,000 people died there and still more suffered and survived. It was important to my parents for us to see this place with our own eyes, to know that it happened, and to remember. This is also part of our legacy as a Jewish family. What I remember most about being there was seeing the houses across the street from the camp. There was the camp's yard, the electrified fence, a moat, a road, and then houses, homes, where people lived. As the ash of human remains fell like snow on their front yards. Each morning when they walked out of their homes, they were confronted by the faces of the starving and terrified. I distinctly remember in my 10-year-old mind thinking how awful that must have been for those people living in those houses, realizing that they were as trapped as the souls on the other side of the fence. I felt a deep hurt and a deep compassion for them to see suffering up close and be unable to do anything. Looking back, it seems to me that this was the moment the seed of becoming a minister was first planted. I didn't know it, of course, not yet anyway. It was just one of the many ways my year of being 10 was so pivotal and so deeply rooted in the core of who I am today. 1973 would still be two years before my dad suddenly passed, leaving my family feeling confused and me feeling totally lost. 1983, the year we sold my childhood home and I moved into my first apartment on my own. The Rye Road House was, and still is, the iconic representation of the Hollander House. Cast parties, the safe place for childhood friends, where people gathered the night my dad died. Passover seders, Thanksgiving dinners, my fortress. 
It was a large moment for me. I had imploded while attempting to attend college and had returned home to live in this house that was both the scariest and safest place in the world for me to be. Although I was dealing with some serious mental health issues, that house was the only place I felt protected from the world. Leaving it felt absolutely terrifying. And yet, I did. I moved into my first apartment in Richmond Heights, right next to the airport, and began learning lessons about solo living that have carried me through my life. The first being, wash the dishes right away or else it becomes a problem. <laughs> Gratefully and somewhat miraculously, the woman who purchased the Rye Road house still lives there and generously allows us to come visit and walk through it whenever we feel the need to reconnect. 1993 was the pivotal year, the decision year. As I said at the beginning of this episode, if you've listened to this podcast or read my book, you are aware that my 30th birthday was when I was deciding to stay or to go. This plan was set in motion when I was 13. A year after my dad had died, I was deep in my struggle with the ferocious demon of depression. In a moment of clarity, well, as much clarity as can come with being 13, I made a promise to myself that if things weren't better, whatever that meant, by the time I was 30, I was allowed to take myself out. When 1993 arrived, I had just recently begun a new career as an actor in a theater company that used spoken English and ASL. I was being paid to act, teach, travel, and learn a new language. I had become stronger, more confident, and I had begun to learn how to wrangle living with depression in a way that was new to me, empowered, guided. On that 30th birthday, as many of you know, I held what I call the summit, a meditation meeting with God and my dad to discuss the terms of my staying in this life. A reset button was pushed. I had no idea that 30 years later, not only would I still be here, living a life I dreamed about as a minister, a teacher, a writer with a published book who also got her master's degree, I would also be using the skills I had learned, and I would have the honor of interpreting a show like Hamilton. All of that? <laughs> I never could have predicted any of it. In 2003, I became a licensed spiritual counselor through the Centers for Spiritual Living in Anchorage, Alaska. This would be the true first step on a spiritual path that I'm still walking to this day. In that year, I would discover my voice as a spiritual pilgrim, begin working in prison ministry, discover that I was a teacher in a whole different area of study, and a speaker in a whole different way from acting. It was a powerful year of awakening. Like Michelangelo revealing the David, it felt like all that was not me was being chipped away to reveal who I was always meant to be. I would also, in that significant year, find big R real, big T true, big L love. 
learning what that meant was a game changer for me. I didn't quite understand how it would play out or what it would look like in my life yet. I was just introduced to it for the first time. And it broke me open in some beautiful, painful, and wonderful ways. Nothing could prepare me for 2013, though. That was the year that taught me about love, loss, possibility, and just how dark the darkness can get. The year began with the thrilling opening of Spirit Stone Spiritual Center, the first place where I could be my own kind of minister, create a space that felt like home, and offer an invitation into a spiritual home that welcomed everyone. Having returned from living in California and Idaho, I knew what I wanted to co-create. And it happened with so much help from generous musicians, friends, and a partner who was willing to do all of the earthly things that I could never wrap my head around. It was a sweet, music-filled, laughter-filled, safe place to explore ideas, expand thoughts, and learn about The Wizard of Oz and Lost and other favorite films and books of mine. We watched movies, created vision boards, walked a labyrinth, and gathered together almost every Sunday morning for close to two and a half years. It was truly a sweet community. Following that triumphant moment of opening the doors to Spirit Stone came the experience of getting shingles on my actual 50th birthday and being unable to move for several days. That was a surprise, <laughs> humbling, painful, and so confusing. I will be forever grateful to Maddie, who during that time never left my side. Her head was always resting on me, making sure that I never felt alone. And then, once I got back up on my feet, 2013 delivered two of the hardest punches I have ever taken. On May 17th, my other me, my soul twin, Jimmy, died suddenly in his sleep. Followed shortly after on August 6th by my beloved heart brother, Carl, from cancer. Also sudden, although expected, just not that soon. I felt like I couldn't breathe. I had no idea how to continue on without these two in my life on this planet. There is, of course, much more detail about them in the book and a much more in-depth telling of this story on the fourth episode of season five of this podcast, titled Doors Opening and Doors Closing. Suffice to say that their deaths were crushing, and that now, 10 years later, I still feel the Grand Canyon-sized absence of them in my life. 2013 taught me one of the most important and excruciating lessons of my life so far. That I can stand back up and keep going even when it feels like I can't or don't want to. That it's okay to curl up under the covers and hide and cry and grieve. And then 
when life calls and says, you're needed, come back now, please. I know that I can answer that call with a yes. No matter how broken or alone I felt, life kept calling and I kept answering. And here we are. 2023 has started with a challenge, the letting go of my sweet Maddie. A moment that without question brought every loss back into hyperfocus. It seemed that I was re-experiencing the deaths of my dad, Jimmy, Carl, Amy, Michael, Andy, and so many more as I held her in my arms and felt her leave me. It was an ache I could never describe. My mom was there at the vet clinic in the lobby waiting for me, which was so sweet. After finally letting Maddie go for the last time, we walked out to our cars and she gave me a beautiful picture frame specifically made to hold a photo of Maddie. We said goodbye and I went back to my car. I sat there for a few moments in this car that Maddie loved to take rides in. This car we had driven in all the way across the country and where we had so many adventures. I could still smell her comforting scent coming from the blanket on the passenger seat. Maddie had an amazingly glorious pheromone. I was longing for her, feeling the absence of her, finding it hard yet again to breathe. And she heard me. As I started the drive home and the Spotify shuffle played, she sent me a song. It was originally done by Michael Hedges. This is my version, along with friends Mark and Dolo. So grateful that Maddie knew I needed to hear this message of I carry your heart. with me. I carry it in my heart. I'm never without it. Anywhere I go, you go, my dear. And whatever is done no fate for you are my fate my sweet I want no world for beautiful you are my world my true and it's you are whatever a moon has always meant and whatever a sun 
grows higher than the soul can hope or mind can hide. And this is the wonder that's keeping the stars apart. As I reflect back on my 60 years on this planet, all of the triumphs and disappointments, the moments of bliss and the moments of deep darkness, all that comes with this pilgrimage of life, two distinctly clear visuals pop up in my mind, one from a TV series and one from a film. It will come as no surprise to anyone that the TV series is Lost. And the scene would be the final one in the church where everyone's souls had agreed to meet. After finding their way through moments of struggle and discovery, this group of friends gathers to move on together. And similarly, the final scene in the film Longtime Companion, where the souls of too many who had died because of AIDS all show up on the beach for a big party. When the main character hears his name called out and he makes eye contact with the first and most beloved friend he lost. Oh, the sweetness of that moment always brings tears to my eyes. The hug they share embodies all of the feelings in it. 
the longing, the joy, the sadness, and the love. I know confidently that there will be a moment like that for me, for all of us, the sweetest reunion we could ever imagine. Not yet, though. I still have a lot of work to do and a 2033 birthday episode to work toward. Happy 30th and 60th birthday to me. Now, go enjoy some cake. Thank you so much for listening to I Wasn't Always Like This, an uplifting podcast about living with depression. And thank you for walking this Camino of Rachel with me. As always, I appreciate the support and hearing your thoughts about what moved you. If you think any of my work might be of help to someone you know, please go ahead and share my website, this podcast, the book info, the contact tab link. Share them with anyone you think might benefit from it. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm doing this. Please take good care of yourselves and one another. And again, please have some cake. Talk soon.